Hello, Dale Partridge here. You're listening to an episode from the Real Christianity Archive. Veronica and I originally began this podcast under the name Ultimate Marriage as a resource for our online marriage mentor program found at ultimatemarriage.com. While our marriage program is still a critical part of our ministry, after about 30 episodes, we decided to change the name of this podcast to Real Christianity as a way to widen the scope of our biblical content. That said, these are some of our most popular episodes, so please enjoy and stay with us on the journey to bring the church back to the Bible. Welcome to Ultimate Marriage, a weekly show designed to replace the lies culture has told us about marriage and family with the raw truth found in the Bible. The premise is simple. Divorce is rising, families are falling, and the culture and even the church seems to be more confused than ever. My name is Dale Partridge, along with my incredible wife, Veronica. Join us as we start an important conversation about what it really means to have a Christian marriage. guys, and welcome to another episode of Ultimate Marriage. Today, we're going to be talking about... What the Bible has to say about managing your money. So, um, this is going to be a fun show, uh, money management. It's funny because I actually come from uh, the entrepreneurship world. I've dealt with this conversation quite a bit. Um, I, I started several businesses and also helped... or I started a company that helped people start businesses. So, I understand kind of the conversation about work and the conversation about money pretty well. And um, I've learned a lot and been around that crowd, been around a lot of people that have made a lot of money, been a lot of peop- around a lot of people who have lost a lot of money. And so it's fun to actually implement those life lessons that we've had over the last several years into a marriage conversation today. A um, couple things. If you're listening to this as a podcast, uh, just know that it does exist as a uh, YouTube video. You can watch this as a video podcast as well. Um, on our YouTube channel, and you can just search for Ultimate Marriage. And if you're watching this on YouTube, this is also a podcast available on uh, uh, iTunes or any Android device. You can find it as well. Uh, we also ask that, one, if you would subscribe on YouTube, and two, that you would leave a review on iTunes. It's a big deal in terms of getting the uh, this content released out to the public. And you don't even need to um, leave a review. You just need to tap the stars. So if you could just scroll up and just tap the stars, that would be a huge deal. So we'd love if you would be able to leave us a review. We're actually on track to becoming the most rated or the highest rated um, Christian um, marriage podcast on iTunes right now, which is awesome. Um, So we're going to start the conversation. Yeah, get started. Okay, so um, we hope that you guys recognize just real quick that... uh, we're not here to share our perspective. We're here to share the Bible's perspective on these matters, on these topics. And our mission is to look at the script, the, the, the scripture's position, and just present it to you. And you get to evaluate if you're actually going to follow that, um, to put yourself in a situation that you get to kind of see if, if you're walking in a way uh, that is different than what the Bible says to walk. If there's actually a gap between what you're doing and what the word is saying. 
Yeah. So the reason why we decided to speak on money finances is because the top three reasons for divorce Mm -hmm. is in America is sex, money and children. So this is a crucial topic for marriage, Christian marriages in the church um, that we should be talking about. Um, Now, I think a lot of you guys may be thinking, well, that's probably easy for you guys to talk about because you guys probably don't have any financial struggles. Um, But that hasn't always been the case. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when Dale and I got married, I came in, I didn't have any debt and I had, I don't know, maybe a thousand, two thousand bucks in my savings account. I think she's being modest. I think she had like two to five thousand in there. I was pretty impressed. I don't remember remember at all. I think it was probably about two thousand, but maybe it was more. Yeah. Anyway. It, it was a score when she's, she was 19 or almost, oh yeah, just turned 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and I came in with like just pristine finances. <laughs> <laughs> Dale came in with about $80,000 in, in debt. debt. <laughs> and this wasn't student loans. This wasn't some noble debt. Best Buy credit cards. <laughs> yeah. Best Buy credit cards. I bought stupid TVs, um, IRS debt. The uh, car was not paid off. Yeah. 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 So we didn't own a home. Um, my car was paid off when we first got married because I came <laughs> in with my car. It was a 1997 yeah. Honda Accord. Maybe it was 91. Yeah. 91. It was, 91. It was a 1991 Honda Accord. His name was Jamal. His name was Jamal. <laughs> um, and Dale had a Toyota Camry hybrid that was like brand spanking new. Yeah, and totally had like $20,000 needed, you know, still to pay on it. So, but when we first got married, all that to say is we were not financially stable at all. Um, we didn't own a home. We were renting an apartment for um, a couple of you renting for several years. And then when I moved in, it was probably just about that last year yep. um, until we bought our first house. Um, but we didn't own our cars and we were making combined less than 40 grand a year and we're both working. Yeah. I was a dog groomer at PetSmart. Yeah. Veronica (laughs) was dog grooming at PetSmart. (laughs) I was a struggling entrepreneur refusing to get a job, trying to figure out how to make it on my own. Um, and so this was, this was our life. So we can absolutely relate with the reality and the struggle of money. Um, I know for some of you guys that have followed me through the business world, um, yeah, I've had companies that have, we've grown them to multi-million dollar companies and we've had that experience. Veronica's spilling water over here. If you're watching Sorry. the video version and, um, and so we've, we've gone from just kind of this very modest lifestyle to, we know what it's like to make money and we actually have still even struggled to lose money and figure out how to regain it back. So we can relate with you guys on that journey. And we were also not raised <clears throat> in wealthy homes no. as well. Yeah, we, so it's not like we, we came from this. We didn't come from this background. Um, you kind of just started from scratch. Yes. Blue collar family um, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we were just kind of middle of the road um, family. So, so absolutely, this is something that we've learned as well on our own journey. And we understand um, that the church has done not the greatest job. I mean, outside of Dave Ramsey, and his Financial Peace University, the church has not done a great job of teaching Christians, Christian married couples, Christian families on how to manage their money according to the scriptures, how to think about money according to the scriptures. And um, um, secondly, I believe that uh, people that offer advice on any area, uh, that they don't have the authority or the credibility to actually give that advice I think is, is wrong. And I think Jesus actually talks about, I'm going to read you a scripture. Um, it's Matthew seven, three through five. It says, 
Jesus, uh, oh, sorry. It says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, exclamation point. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so, um, on that note, I wanted to say this first because we're going to give you some instruction on money. And uh, I wouldn't want to give you instruction if we hadn't taken our own advice on on this topic of money. So Veronica and I, a couple things. Um, we don't have any debt. We uh, we have paid off our house. We, we have no mortgage, um, which was not easy and took several years of paying down big payments and bigger payments and bigger payments if we could do that. Um, and then taking lump sums that we would get and pay those off. We also uh, have invested into rental properties and we're buying real estate that way now. We are we have a retirement plan that we're working on. We don't owe any money on our cars. And uh, we actually even live, we, we've had seasons where we lived really tightly on a budget. And then um, yeah, we've we, still we actually now. Well, yeah, we're on a budget now. Um, just to be smart with our money. Yeah. Um, but we actually even share a car. We technically do have two cars, but Dale has a classic truck that only yeah. gets driven about 10 times a year because it needs a new radiator, can't overheat, yeah. and he doesn't want to drive it when it's wet outside, which is half the year. Yeah. So, yeah, you drive about 10 times a year, so we're pretty much a one-car family. Yes, we um, have a Suburban. We have a Suburban, yeah. Yeah, and so we, that's a really good point, is that we, we've just kind of learned to live on less. We definitely live on less than what we make. And, um, and so that, this is just, again, the authority of why we're going to, uh, of what we're going to talk about right now. Um, and yeah, so Veronica's, uh, has something to say on that. Yeah. And it's like Dale said, it's taken us years to get here. It didn't just happen overnight. Um, but we believe that you and your spouse can get here too. Yeah. Um, it's not so much about making more money or even saving more money. It's about having a healthy understanding of it. Yeah. Um, and today, Dale and I are going to briefly share about what the Bible says about money. Yeah. So again, it's just about the the overall topic of money is is really the important part. It's not necessarily the um, the tactical. So I want you guys to kind of have a right understanding of money, the biblical understanding of money. As a married couple, this is a core piece of advice. Again, it's actually said in some articles that money's the number one reason that people get divorced. Um, and then some articles say that it's sex, but this is a big deal. Um, money causes a lot of problems. Possessions cause a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to be uh, kind of walking through. We have four scriptures that we're going to be talking about. Veronica is going to kind of introduce those to those in a little bit here. Um, but uh, Jesus talked about money a lot. And so I want to give you guys a bit of the understanding of how much 16, I'm looking at some notes here, 16 of the 38 parables were concerned about money and possessions. Um, in the gospels, one out of 10 verses, that's 288 verses are about money and possessions. They directly deal with the subject of money. Um, there are over 500 verses on prayer. There's over 500 verses or about 500 verses on faith. There's over 2000 verses on money and possessions. It's a big deal in the Bible. And so the Christian church and Christian couples, married couples, we have to stop adopting the culture's perspective of money. The Bible has given us a plan, a directive, a mindset, a belief system on money, and we need to actually uh, 
I guess, mold or bend according to the word and not according to what everybody else does. Even if people in the church do it. No, we have to actually yield to what the scriptures speak about that. And um, the rate of debt currently in the church in terms of Christians is almost identical to the rate of debt in the secular world. 73% of people die in debt, which is a really sad thing. They're, they're not leaving an inheritance for anybody. They literally owe people money. Um, it, it's a sad reality. And people are curious. We have to remember this. People are curious when Christians don't have debt or where they, they don't spend their money in the same way that the, the rest of the world does. And um, when, when people are curious, um, it's a big deal because uh, we have to recognize that the power of living a biblical life um, you know, is evangelistic. And people that don't live that way um, and you live in debt, you, you operate exactly the same, same way the world does, it actually does hurt your Christian witness. And I don't think we, we, we realize that enough, is that when you're in debt and you have credit cards and you've made all the same decisions that the world has made, they've lost their curiosity. They're, you're not a peculiar people, as the scriptures say. You're not any different. We need to be radically different, so different as Christian couples that people go, like, why are you like that? Hey, Dale Partridge here. We hope this podcast has been a blessing to your marriage. For those that don't know, Ultimate Marriage is a ministry under our nonprofit, relearnchurch.org. I'm telling you this because we're a listener-supported podcast. It takes a small team, a serious amount of equipment, and several hours per week to keep this show going. Now, we tell you this because Veronica and I would like to grow the reach of this show so that it might help even more couples understand the Bible's design for marriage. So if you're a regular listener of this podcast, would you consider supporting us in this ministry effort? We're not asking for much, maybe $5, $10, or $25 per month. I promise that your support will help us continue to get God's truth out to save marriages and strengthen families. If you feel led to make a donation, simply go to relearnchurch.org forward slash donate. Again, that's relearnchurch.org forward slash donate. Thank you so much for your consideration. Like, why have you made a decision to do that instead of to do that? Like, you guys are living differently. And so it's a really important concept to remember that the way we handle our money can hurt our Christian witness. Um, and if that's not the way that you're living, it's something that you guys should evaluate as a couple. Yeah. So the first scripture we're going to be talking about is going to be first Timothy six ten, And that says for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting. So it says that money is not the root of all evil. It says the love of money mm-hmm. is a root. Um, and we've seen people mm-hmm. fall from this. Yeah. I mean, there we, we other Christians, we've literally seen people walk away because we've of seen their, people choose money over their marriage and it deteriorate. Yeah. And money over their community, money over all types of things. Mm-hmm. So this is not some foreign concept. This is absolutely practical in the church today. Um, money is morally neutral in the scriptures. Um, and the Bible says that both wealthy and poor are considered godly. So it's 
you don't want to have the prosperity gospel in your mind. You don't want to have the poverty gospel in your mind. We're like, if you're poor, you're more holy. That's not the, the, the correct way to think about it either. Uh, and don't think that you're immune to the love of money. Um, in Mark, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sowers. And one of the reasons he talks about where the seed falls on the wrong soil, one of the reasons he gives is this, and I'm going to read it to you real quick. Um, he says, now these, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And so we have to realize that, that riches are deceitful. Like they actually, the Bible declares that money is deceitful and that our flesh will desire that. And so just think about that for a bit. Just remember that you can actually be fooled to, to fall in love with your money and to fall in love with your possessions. And the Bible warns us about that. Yeah, that actually makes me think of a quote in your book, Save From Success, mm-hmm. which you can get on Amazon. Or your local Barnes and Noble. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I will read it here. I have it written down uh, just so I don't butcher it. Um, And it says, the culture says, if you have a lot of money, celebrate. You're standing on thick ice. The Bible says, if you have a lot of money, be careful. You're standing on thin ice. Yeah. This is, uh, this is a huge contrast. The culture says, Hey, you got tons of money, man, dude, you're totally set. The Bible says, Hey, if you got lots of money, be very careful with it. Yeah. Be cautious. Be cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dangerous. It could be, it, it can actually, it's one of the reasons that can actually pull you away from your salvation, pull you away from your faith. Um, you can walk away from the Lord because of a love for money. And so that's a, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah. And for many years, money and work was a very, very touchy topic in our marriage. Um, kind of still is sometimes in terms of like the work. It can be every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. We've had lots of fights about these issues. Um, and for the first few years, Dale wouldn't have said that work was a priority over me. Yeah. Like in my, in my mind, like on the test, on the exam, I would have checked like, Oh, Veronica's the priority over like work. Yeah. So, but since then you've changed Thank God for the Holy Spirit doing a work inside of you um, and your obedience to the word. But yeah, for years, it was definitely rearranged. Your priorities were. Yeah, we had fights a lot. Mm -hmm. um, And obviously I'm sharing this with his permission. Yeah. I'm not slandering you. No, uh, but yeah, that that, that was the real thing. That was just the reality of what it was. So Mm -hmm. yeah, if you're in a situation where husbands are working too much if a workaholic husband or uh the, the the priorities are wrong where like sure they might say that no you know god you know wife you know uh, family you know work like that's the correct priority structure but in reality that's not the case your actions display your priorities yes they do and and th- this needs to change a biblical man will change that and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like here in a second um the scriptures teach in Romans 12 two, that God's will is perfect means that God's not going to make you be, God's not going to require that you're disobedient to one command in order to be obedient to another part of his commands. And so um, ultimately what I'm saying that is, is that, that God's plan for your life, for your work, his call on your work will not compromise your family. It will not compromise your marriage. And so if you are in a work schedule or a money plan or, 
or a um, <clears throat> you have drive to build something and it's compromising your marriage and your family or your spiritual life, then you're outside of God's plan because you know while, while God's plan won't compromise your marriage, your plan will. And that's a big deal to make, to pay attention to as a man, as the provider of the home. And it took me several years to realize um, that that my desire to make more money and to, to build isn't sometimes God's desire. Mm-hmm. And just kind of distinguishing those. And we'll talk even, I'll, I'll mention that a little bit uh, later in the show today. Um, but the limit, the, the really the only limit that you can have uh, for work is one is yeah making sure that you're not you're trying to keep a Sabbath day and then um, which I believe again is Sunday um, but we can have those theological debates later but the <laughs> idea is that that um, <clears throat> your the throttle of your work and your chasing of those dreams should be dependent upon how healthy your marriage and your family are and those those are the kind of signals about how much you can work it might be 20 hours a week in certain seasons of life it might be 60 hours a week in certain seasons of life um and you get to to base that off of your relationship with your spouse in there so yeah so the next scripture we're going to be talking about this will be the second one is going to be proverbs 22:7 the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender what do you think about this scripture what do I think about the scripture? Yeah, we're going it's, off track. You're off of our notes. No, you can't do that to me. I like <laughs> my notes. Um, the rituals over the bar. I mean, you're yeah, you're exactly what it says. You're a slave to the lender. Think you're about, tied to. Yeah, think about our life when we had debt. What was it like? You're forced to work. And and a lot. And how much of it? You know, we were probably paying twenty five percent of our income was probably going to debt payments for a while. It's horrible. Yeah. You were a slave to the lender. You had to work your tail off to pay off these bills. Yeah. And and just especially the IRS. Oh my gosh, don't go into debt with the IRS people. Um, So I'm going to read this one more time. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. You guys have heard this before, right? Like, you know, you're, you're slave to the lender. That's, that's the shorter version of it. Yeah. And I like this passage because it speaks honestly about the relationship between the debtor and the creditor. It's an honest relation or it just speaks honestly about that. And see, God wants us in a position that we have the freedom to serve him. He wants us in that position. And I think a lot of people uh, get, uh, feel or have the sense of being called to somewhere and to, to work for God, to, to, to build something for his kingdom. Um, but we, we don't have the freedom to do so. We literally can't because we, we, we owe the bank. We owe the, we owe the payments and, and we're limited on what we can do. And now we kind of blend in with the rest of the culture because everybody else is in debt too. But Yeah, but, we, but if you're going to be a person also with integrity, you got yourself there. But if you're a Christian, you want to be a man of your word of integrity, you've got to pay, off, pay that off. Yeah. And I mean, how's our life been? Just talk about our life in terms of since we paid off our mortgage. Like just... I think we just have had a lot more freedom. Yeah. Ultimately, like, I mean, you work from home, which I know is a huge blessing, and that's not the case for most people. Most people don't have um, a husband that can work from home. And then I'm a stay-at-home mom, so we're home a lot Mm -hmm. together, um, which is really nice. And you can take breaks when you need to. And, I mean, this last year we've had walked through many, many trials. And so through those trials, you have been able to put many things on hold that you were working on 
and just stop them to focus back on family and getting me healthy and watching the kids so I can rest. And we, I mean, we with a budget with no mortgage, you could pull back your expenses so far if you needed to and like stretch your savings for several months or you can um, just have the freedom to just rest if you need to rest. And and so having that paid off is a big deal for our family. Um, I once heard maturity is defined as learning to delay current pleasure in order to, or for the sake of future peace. So I'm going to say that again, so I don't butcher, I'm going to read it real quick. Um, uh, maturity is defined as learning to delay current pleasure for the sake of future peace. And I, I think this really speaks to the idea of, do I really need that thing to buy? Do I need to buy that thing? Do I actually need those things? You know, children, they do what they feel like they, they, they do what feels good. Christian couples do what the Bible says is right. And so, yeah, I mean, do we need those things? John Townsend. Um, yeah. Is it a want or a need? Is it a want or a need? And, and we have to realize that our needs are like a thousand miles lower than our wants. And so our wants are just, we have to really distinguish those in our hearts. John Townsend, um, Dr. John Townsend, who wrote the book Boundaries, he, uh, he said a really great quote. He says, <clears throat> we, need to learn to di- we need to learn the difference between a need, which should be met, and a entitled or an, an entitled desire, which should be starved. Mm-hmm. And the culture is just that, that we think that we need all these things when in reality we don't. And I'll tell you what, when you pay off all your debt and you still make the same amount of money, you can buy all types of fun stuff. What did we just buy? Yeah, we just bought a, a side-by-side little off-roading car thing. Mm-hmm. Little like, what, is it, what are they called? Just like a- The Ranger. It's a Ranger, yeah. but aren't they called like a, a UTV, an ATV, a UTV, a yeah. utility- vehicle kind of thing. Yeah. And they're, 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 it's just the awesome little thing, thing for our property. And, uh, we went and bought it cash and because we can, and it was fun and it, it doesn't affect, uh, our finances in any way. We budgeted for it. We had some fun money to go do that. And we've already had a ton of fun with our family in it. Um, so yeah, thinking about that is that don't walk into slavery. This is the gospel comes to free us from slavery, including just the freedom of knowing the truth. The rest of the world doesn't know these concepts. They don't look at everybody in debt. They don't have the Bible to teach them the truth about money. We have that. We have the oracles of God. Leverage that. Walk according to that way. Don't go into debt. Yeah. And sadly, I've seen so many mothers forced to work and many children, even in the church, are being outsourced. And not because that's the mother's heart's desire, but because unfortunately their parents had made poor financial decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has forced them to maintain a dual income and keep a lifestyle that's just unsustainable. Yeah. there's It's really sad actually is that debt does again affect not just the money game, but it affects the entire family. Yeah. And I mean, I have women writing me all the time, emailing me or you know, direct messaging me on Instagram saying like, I, I, I would love to be a stay at home mom, but I just can't like, I can't, we, we both have to work. Yeah. We have, we have student loans that we took on or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, I just go, if you can't pay for it cash, it's not God's will. That's a crazy statement. Now 
Is there emergency exception circumstances that are just unique and different and the Lord might have something that you'd walk through and uh, who knows? But I'm saying in general, if you can't pay for it cash, it's not God's will. Because again, God doesn't make you be disobedient to one of his commands or one of his values in order for you to be obedient to something else. And so if the Lord brought you to it, he's going to make a way for you to get through it. And and that's, so if you need some money, you got to pray for it and figure out how you're going to make it happen. But, but don't go into debt. Um, I know that's a hard thing to hear. I mean, it's easier for us to say now that, you know, we've had a mortgage and, and those different things, mm-hmm. but, um, but something to consider. Um, okay. Where are we the at? Next scripture, uh, scripture number three, we're going to be talk about going to be talking about is Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves in, sorry, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Okay. I think this is interesting. Um, you know, it, 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 this passage gives Christians vision, especially Christian men. It gives this, it gives big vision. If you want to retire at say 65, uh, which is the America's standard of retirement. Um, I know a lot of people probably won't fully retire, but if you wanted to retire at 65 and you wanted to have enough money to last you until you're 90, which any financial advisor would recommend, um, and you wanted to have $50,000 a year uh, without taking into consideration inflation, because $50,000 today in 25 years, $50,000 is not going to be enough to sustain because the way that inflation works. But let's just say that you just had a blanketed $50,000 times, you know, what, 25 years. That's $1.25 million that you need saved. Okay, that's a lot of money. And that's why it's important now that we are focusing as Christians to make sure that we can sustain and provide for ourselves so we don't put that burden on our children. But instead, this scripture says, no, not, not just have enough money for you, but have enough money for an inheritance for not just your children. Your children's children. But for your children's children. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a big deal. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This is Proverbs. This is probably written by Solomon. Um, and uh, so a godly husband needs to work hard. He needs to work smart. He needs to work in a way that doesn't compromise his family. He needs to pray for God's blessing on his life for wisdom and discernment. And um, men, if you're if you're not serious about generating wealth, if you're not serious about uh, paying off your mortgage, if you're just kind of spending money and doing what feels good right now, then pay attention. Wake up. You need to be leaving money behind for not just your children, but your children's children having that that, that vision. So I, I just want you guys to know is that a godly man isn't just a provider for himself and his kids. He is a provider for generations. And I, I mean, we're really trying to do this and Veronica is going to talk about that in a second, but we're, we're, we're very much trying to do that. Are you that man? Are you thinking about your grandchildren? Not just like that they will be there, but you're going to give them something, leave something behind for them to not start at zero. And not only like just when you're when you're old and die when you're 80 something years old, but also like even now, like I get life insurance. I know Dave Ramsey's huge on that, but yeah. you never know if something's going to happen to, to your husband or your wife. And if Dale were to die tomorrow, hopefully that doesn't happen. But I know that the, myself and the kids are set. We're totally taken care of. Yep. And so, yeah. And, just, and, and giving your wife that, I mean, yeah, Veronica has life insurance on me. 
enough. And she also has counsel. I've sought up counsel for her in terms of how to spend that money so that she doesn't have to worry about the details. You know, we have all of our information inside of a trust. We're organized in our financial house. And that's a really big deal. It's a mark of an organized and mature man. And, um, uh, yeah, she, she'd be able to take that money and buy real estate investments and be fine. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so like Dale said, we Lord willing are, are trying to accomplish this in, in our life and in our marriage. Um, we're hoping to acquire some rental properties, um, that we can hand down to our children so that they could hand it down to their children. Um, because it would just be such a blessing. Just imagine starting life out on your own or as with your new wife or husband, your spouse, um, without a mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Without like owing the bank. And how much more time that would allow them for ministry or doing whatever God has um, called on their life or, um, you know, time to give them investing opportunities yeah. um, instead of laboring to pay off the bank. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, we actually have a friend, uh, uh, friends, they're, they're identical twin brothers, uh, mm-hmm. David and J- uh, Jason Benham, and they have a real estate empire. They're, you know, what, 10 years older than me. So they're 43, almost 44. And um, they're awesome guys. And they have, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 real estate investments going now. Mm-hmm. And they're completely, I mean, they're completely retired ultimately. And they're just godly men. And they're, they're, they're getting ready to start training up their, their oldest boys to hand down that, that real estate empire. And they started from scratch. They started mm-hmm. from scratch. And so they're going to they're gonna fulfill that, leaving an inheritance for your children's children. Now, a lot of people are going to argue that that scripture is just about a, a spiritual inheritance, which it could be. But I think it's when you look back at the scripture above it and below it, it's definitely specifically referencing money as well. So the last scripture we're going to talk about is 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, this one's convicting for myself, so I'm going <laughs> to preach on it with as much authority as I can. Um, now, we all have different vices uh, and struggles. Uh, one of mine is discontentment. I really struggle with just this idea of like being content like with where I'm at. I mean, I feel like there's, there's something in the way that the Lord made me that actually kind of rubs against this as well. I'm an achiever. It's, a, it's the achiever in him. If you didn't hear me, I was away from the microphone. Um, but Dale's, is that your number one? I'm activator. Activator. So his and on the strengths finder test, if you guys have ever taken that or have heard of that. Yeah. His first one is activator. His second one is achiever. And, and he's an eight on the Enneagram. Yeah. So he's just like a go getter kind of guy. My whole life. Holiness for me is humility, patience, and he, slow. Yeah. He thrives on like a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've always, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to accomplish more. And I found out that like the most joy I do have is that when I am content and also walking in holiness. And so that idea of the godliness with contentment is great gain. And, um, and you know, it's okay to succeed. It's okay to want to be successful. Like that's, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but it's unhealthy when your success dictates your joy. Um, if success is always behind the next thing, then it'll never be where you are. And I'm going to say that again. If success is always behind the next thing, or if if happiness is always behind the next thing, if 
What, whatever you're searching for is always behind the next thing, then it'll never be where you are. And that is a problem. That is, a, that is the advertisement of the lack of contentment in your own heart and life. Um, but I also uh, want to mention that uh, I don't want you guys to confuse a healthy desire for contentment with an unhealthy desire for comfort. And so there's just kind of hyper contentment movement that's happening in the church where it's like we live in a tiny house and like we've we've like simplicity and like minimalism to the point where it's not just about being simple and not just about minimizing. It's also about minimizing your responsibility. It's about minimizing your call. It's about minimizing your impact in the world. And if you ever look at people who are making big change throughout history, historical figures, they're generally not minimalist. They're, they're actually have acquired much. Now they've stewarded it well and they've done it with integrity. Um, and, uh, and they've done it with, um, yeah, with wisdom. And you, you, from the patriarchs, from Abraham and David, David to, you know, any of the honorable presidents of the United States of, of times past. Um, so contentment doesn't mean that we shouldn't desire more. It means that we can be thankful uh, for what we have and patient for what's next. And work hard for what's next. Yes. And work hard for what's next. God's created us to work. Yes. <laughs> I know this. Okay, guys, this is a great thing that my wife brought up here. I'm constantly trying to figure out a way to escape work. I feel like it's just, you know, the curse in the Garden of Eden is that by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be working. You know, it's going to be hard to toil the land. And I, I've, uh, the last year I've been realizing, you know what? I'm going to stop escaping the desire to kind of escape work. I'm just going to go, I'm going to work until I die and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to work smart. And so uh, at the core, God, food, water, shelter are enough. Can you be content with that? At the end of the day, can you be content with that? And um, everything else is a blessing from God that Mm -hmm. we even have the ability to have more. So, Amen. Yeah. Anyways, that's our conversation about money. So every week we answer a few questions, usually about one now, just because our show's been running a little bit long. Um, but if you guys have a question that you want us to answer, go ahead and send that to support at ultimatemarriage.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and and guys, I'm sorry that Veronica didn't talk as much today. It's probably I because- I feel like I talked a decent amount, but okay. maybe not. I manage the money at our house. Yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, why did we let you manage the money when we first got married? I was the one with no debt. <laughs> that, that <laughs> I was idea. the one with no debt and a couple grand in my savings account. You're 80 grand in debt. Oh, you have $2,000 in savings. Let me, let's bring that over here when we merge our, <laughs> our bank accounts. Oh yeah. We're going to make a payment over here on this debt with that money. Um, and no, I'm broke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got married and I got, and we went broke. Um, so yeah. So, um, yeah, if you have a question, send it to support, support at ultimatemarriage.com. And this week's question we picked out because it was it was applicable to our show. And that was, what would your advice be to couples with separate bank accounts? Okay. Um, all right. First off, if you have separate bank accounts, please hear me with a gentle heart. Um, I, I don't want to tell you my opinion on this. Um, I, I just want you, we just want you to just 
say, do we believe the Bible is true or not? Are we actually willing and wanting to conform to God's design for marriage or not? Which is unity. Which is unity Mm -hmm. and oneness. And so first off, you're not roommates who sleep in the same bed. That's not what you are. You, You are in a one flesh relationship. And just like there's not like it would be so weird if I said, um, you know, your child and my child about our kids, mm-hmm. like you don't say your money and my money, like they're like, that's a weird thing to say in a marriage. Yeah. The, you, the yours and mine type of mentality doesn't support a biblical marriage. Yeah. Um, the goal of marriage is to become one flesh and we should work hard to eliminate any type of division or separation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an important pro- process of, of constantly becoming one. We've done a podcast specifically on becoming one on one flesh. If you can go back and look at what it looks like to kind of be one. And in my experience, the fear of divorce is actually kind of the undertow or, or, um, the driver of this conversation of separating bank accounts. It's kind of like a plan B is in the background here. And, and so any spouse that is kind of, you know, desires to have a separate bank account, they're insecure in their marriage. There's yes. a lack of security in their marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lack of trust usually mm-hmm. there. Um, and it's a huge red flag that you guys need to extinguish if you guys want to work on your journey of becoming one flesh. So there's, yeah, remember, there's one reputation, one bed, one dream, one vision, one, um, you know, one family, one political stance, one identity, even as a couple, like one everything. And it's becoming one in the same way that, that Christ and the church are to be one. And so it's a very unique oneness that, that the Bible calls for us to get together. And it's unlike any other relationship. Um, there's no other relationship in which you become one with another person. Every Christian or every other relationship has boundaries, in order for them to be healthy. A relationship between mother and father has boundaries. Uh, um, between mother and child has boundaries. A relationship between brother and sister has has boundaries. A relationship between employer and employee has boundaries. A relationship between husband and wife is called to a one flesh relationship. There actually shouldn't be any boundaries between them. You know, It's a boundaryless marriage. It's a one flesh completely unified any boundary between you and your spouse is actually an unbiblical idea. There are no boundaries between the church and Christ and, and in terms of their, their uh, general closeness with one another. Now, does the marriage have boundaries outside for sure, but between them, there is no boundaries. And so we're to be one flesh unified completely together there. Um, Sorry, I talked too much. Well, that was great. Okay. I thought that was a great answer to that question. Um, so this week's memory verse, we share a memory verse every week. This week's is Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So yeah, memorize that. Um, it's important to have those scriptures memorized. Um, another thing is because we haven't been able to answer many questions because we don't want to have a long, super long show, um, we're going to our next episode answer just five questions. And I'll tell you guys, you've been sending us questions that are like deep, deep questions, deep questions. Yeah. So they're, they're going to be intense and it's going to be a great episode answering some really rich 
It's probably going to be a lot of Dale talking because a lot of them are really theologically heavy. Oh. So yeah, he gets no, to... I'll, I'll make sure that, <laughs> that, that we pick two questions that Veronica uh, can hit just for the ladies. So, um, yeah. So sometimes this happens, but... Um, Okay, a couple things before we close out the, today's episode. Um, hit your memory verse um, and leave us a review. Again, if this is edifying to you, if, if you believe this show has helped you get closer to God or understand God's word more, would you be willing just to leave us a review in iTunes? Just literally scroll up and hit the amount of stars that you'd like to give us. That would be very uh, helpful for us on this journey. And also, if you guys want to listen to the show, um, you guys can watch the video, listen to the show. You guys can look at all the show notes, all the scriptures that we have, all the quotes. Um, you can just go to ultimatemarriage.com forward slash uh, episodes and or just go to ultimatemarriage.com and look at the podcast page and you'll see all of that stuff available. This is episode number nine. Um, Thanks else? for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us, guys. And see uh, we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Ultimate Marriage. If you're homesick for a stronger marriage, visit our website at ultimatemarriage.com and consider enrolling in our one-year online marriage mentor program. Also, if you're interested in learning more about building a better marriage, follow Veronica and I on social media, where each week we share tips, tricks, and lessons on building a biblical marriage. Hey, Dale Partridge here. I think Christians underestimate the influence the culture can have on us. I think without even noticing, many of us have traded this incredible life God wants for us for an empty counterfeit. If you haven't realized, the church has become comfortable with things we shouldn't be comfortable with. We've normalized things in our work, our marriages, our families, and our finances that are not normal. But the question I have for you is this. What does the Bible say about what's normal? What kind of life should Christians be chasing? Now, what if I told you that what's popular isn't superior? What if I told you that what seems smart isn't actually right? What if I told you that the world's view of success is actually God's definition of failure? The Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So what if we're doing it wrong? What if the lives who follow Jesus look more like the culture than like Christ? What if the life we're so desperate to have isn't something to seek after, but to be saved from? I answer these questions in my latest book, Saved from Success, how God can free you from culture's distortion of family, work, and the good life. It's short, it's convicting, and it's a bold book. Get your copy in hardback or audiobook at ultimatemarriage.com forward slash success. Again, that's ultimatemarriage.com forward slash success.